now from Matthew. Hopefully your Bibles are beginning to fall open pretty easily to the book of Matthew. Um, We're still on the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm going to read once again all of the Beatitudes beginning in verse 2. We go through verse 11, and then we're going to focus in on verse 6 today. So, um, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who, blessed are the meek, For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, uh, for this time that we can come together and worship you through the preaching and the, the, the hearing of the word. I pray that you would speak to us now and, and, uh, and help us to understand what you've given to us, the way, you've, the way you have revealed yourself to us. Father, I thank you today that you are holy and that you are righteous, that you are just. Father, I thank you that you're good. I thank you that you are omnipotent, that you are omniscient, that you are omnipresent. Father, I thank you that you are the definition of that which is other than us and other than anything that we can comprehend here on earth. I thank you and I praise you. For those things. Father, I thank you that you are love. God, I pray that you will help us during this time to uh, to focus on you, to worship you, to be enthralled by who you are today. God, I pray for those who are not here. Um, for whatever reason, God, I pray that you would just... Uh, Watch after them. Keep them safe in their travels. Uh, watch over their families. Give them uh, health this week and just keep them safe until we get to see them again. I pray that um, there would be a longing in their heart to be here with your people this morning even though they aren't. Um, and I pray for our, our country, our government, our government officials and those who are in leadership and authority over us. Father, I pray that you would take care of and comfort and keep every one of those men and women and their families. Watch over them. I pray especially for our president, Father, that you would give him wisdom and discernment 
that only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I don't know if he is a born-again believer. Um, I pray that if he's not, that you would save him. I pray that if he is, God, you would continue to lead him and use that position to lead this country in the way that we should go. God, I, I submit to the truth that you put leaders in authority. You raise them up and you take them down as you see fit, as you please. God, I worship you for that and I praise you for that and I thank you that you have taken that responsibility on yourself and that we can just rest in, in the sovereignty that you have over all authorities and governing powers. God, I pray for this town, the town of Taylorsville. God, I know that there are thousands of people right now who are completely unaffiliated with a church family. God, we can assume because of that unaffiliation that they do not know you as Savior. God, I pray that you would use the ministry of this church and your word to compel this group of people to go find those people, share the gospel with those people, and bring those people into community of faith with us here. And, and I pray that you would use this church in the future to... To, uh, to magnify your name and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do through the ministry of this church and these people here. I pray that you would come now and, and just speak to us once again from your word. Help us to submit to the authority of your word. Help us to be honest with ourselves today as we take this time to uh, look inside our hearts and examine ourselves. Father, I love you and I thank you for all that you're going to do. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. This is where we're going to focus today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This week we would kind of see a shift in the Beatitudes. And we could, we could spend a good hour or so just talking about the structure of the Beatitudes and how they're laid out. And, and, and I hope that we would all understand that when Jesus sits down to deliver a sermon, he doesn't just start talking and say what comes to his mind. Um, he obviously doesn't have to go from a manuscript, but the things that he says and the order that he says them and, and the reason that he says this here and that there, is, it's all the way it should be and for a reason. And, and so we're kind of shift today in the Beatitudes from looking at our hearts specifically and where we stand, maybe looking at your feet and where you stand, to looking more at Jesus, more at, at Christ and who He is. It's, it's kind of a shift from what kind of sin issues do I have or my perspective on sin to am I pursuing Christ in a way that fills the absence of sin in my life. We've talked for... Um, the past several weeks, and it seems like, and I know you guys are probably feeling this, I know I feel this as I'm studying, that we've just really been pounded with the reality of sin, and how sin has affected us, and who we are as sinners, and that's, I know in my study time, and just as I've, I've taken in these truths, it's not a fun thing, it's not really, um, you know, um, exciting to do that. And, and so that's, that's what we've done. And we're kind of shifting today to 
what happens now? Now that I know that I'm a sinner, now what? Because in our in our mindset, the popular mindset, especially of Christians, is I'm a Christian now, so I have to stop blank. I'm a Christian, so I got to stop drinking. I'm a Christian, so I got to stop cussing. I'm a Christian, so I got to stop watching porn. I'm a Christian, so I got to stop hanging out with these people. This is our mindset, and this is generally the mindset of those, especially outside the church, is that Christianity means if you come under the umbrella of Christianity, it means I have come to begin to obey some rules. And so part of being a Christian is I've got to get in the Bible and find out what are all the rules that I have to obey. What are all the things I have to get rid of? And so as we look at our sin, hopefully we, we take a look at our lives and we begin to get rid of some things. But the problem is, well, if I get rid of all these things, if I'm not hanging out with the same people, if I'm not going to the same... Uh, places to hang out, if I'm not going to the same social gatherings, if I'm not watching the same things, well, what am I going to do? Am I just going to sit in silence and and in some sort of a, a mantra, um, meditating? You know, what do we do as Christians? And, and the lost world assumes that because the Christian life means getting rid of a bunch of stuff, that we're really boring people. That we just have, we don't, we don't have any fun. Um, I don't want to be a Christian because the, all they do is... I don't know what they think. It's obviously not true, but the mindset is, I'm a Christian, and so now I've got to stop something. I've got to get rid of all these things, and so we're left with, now what? And the first three Beatitudes, poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, ridding yourself of the pride in yourself. We've, we've hit those hard, and they, and they leave us, they kind of beat us down almost, and they really attack our bent towards Idolatry. We, we, we see these things, hopefully, we read these and we, we begin to be emptied of ourselves. And we begin to um, come to a point, like the Apostle Paul phrases it, where we have no confidence in the flesh. We're just emptied. I've got nothing. I'm, I'm beaten. You have, you have told me week after week after week that I'm, I'm depraved. I'm sinful. I, I can't do anything to save myself. I'm, I'm just... So now what? What? I'm just beaten down and then left. And, and so my prayer is that you come after you've heard those things and, and you've meditated on those things and we've spent time in our small groups talking about what our pers- perspective of sin should be. My prayer is that you are longing, you're searching, you're thinking, now what? What do I do? I, will, I understand, okay, I'm no good, I'm, I'm worthless, I have nothing to give God, so now what? what where, where do I go from here? And so today we're going to talk about that question of now what? That, that longing that I hope you have to begin to, rather than just stand where you're at and realize that you're a sinner, begin to make steps towards something, to move forward. And so I hope that you have that longing. And maybe you can't identify it yet, maybe you don't understand what it is. But that desire that you're born with is inside of you. You have it to be reconciled to God, to be made right with God. You have that desire. Every person in their longings, everywhere they go, they're chasing, chasing. Whether they're a Christian or whether they're a lost person, they're pursuing something. And ultimately, that pursuit is the pursuit to be right with their Creator. They may not know it, but that's what it is. And and so that... If you understand as we've come through these past several weeks, hopefully your desire is to be absent of everything that separates us from God. You want to be perfect. You want to be righteous, so to speak. You want to be like Jesus. And the question is, have you realized what 
sin is. When we get a good perspective of sin, we should realize it separates us from God. That's why it's so terrible. It breaks God's heart and it separates us from Him. It makes a divide where we're over here and God is over here. We can't cross it. So that's the first three Beatitudes have, have hopefully kind of done that. They deconstruct us and make us, they beat us down. And we said the first week that the gospel must convict before it corrects, before it before you can be redeemed, you must understand that that conviction. And then if you look at verse 7 and verse 8 and verse 9, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, these kinds of things, you see there's a, a difference. And these kind of things are the byproducts of being filled, which is where we're going to end today. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. And when you are satisfied in this way, you begin to produce mercy. You begin to produce a purity of heart. You begin to seek to make peace. And so that you see that shift and those are those kind of sandwich what we're going to talk about today, this hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And then the eighth beatitude brings to light the fact that when you begin to produce these things, you'll be persecuted. Now we read this, when I read this, I think, man, merciful pure in heart, peacemaker. That sounds like somebody everybody wants to be around. But Jesus said, when you begin to act this way, you're going to be persecuted. The world does not like this. The world does not understand this. And so you'll be persecuted. So that's kind of how that structure goes. So we've spent three weeks getting beaten down. We're going to start next week being filled back up. But this week we've got to understand something has to happen in order for us to move forward. So that's where we're going. Um, Today I'm going to, I always try to let the scripture be the sermon. This is, this is God's word and even specifically in this passage, Jesus is preaching. Um, I really don't have a whole lot to add to what he has, what he said. And so the scripture in my, my mindset, the scripture is always the sermon. And so my job is just to kind of help the scripture make a little more sense and to unpack it and apply it to where we are now. And so... Even more so today, the very words of this verse are going to preach this sermon. And this will be a time of self-examination. I'm going to, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I want you guys to answer out loud. Just I'm going to ask some questions for you to um, ask yourself. We're not answering out loud, so nobody else knows what your answer is. You're not, you're not trying to convince anybody in the room. It's between you and God. God can't be deceived, so if, you're, if you lie, you're only deceiving yourself. And so, as we, as we do this, I want you to be honest. Really, really think about these, these words that Jesus said. So he starts off the same way he started. starts every beatitude. Blessed. We've talked about this. Every week. Blessed. Happy. Truly happy. This is not a false happiness based on... Being oblivious to the truth. We've talked about that. This is not a false happiness that comes and goes with your circumstances. It's not a false happiness that you put on like a pair of sunglasses before you go out or before you go into Walmart or before you go into the church meeting so that everybody thinks you're happy. This is not a false happiness that you remind yourself of when you're challenged with God's Word. Because I can come here this morning and I can begin to ask questions and in your own heart you're saying, oh no, wait, you're happy. No, you're happy. Remember you done this. Remember yesterday that was so happy. You were happy. Remember? 
And you will convince yourself when you're challenged that you're happy, but it's really just a false happiness. If you have to constantly convince yourself that you're happy because of the things that you're doing, you don't have it. Because remember, this is a, a spiritual gift of happiness. This is comes from the Holy Spirit of God and, and, and takes over. So it's not things that you do. Anytime you say in yourself, yeah, but I do this, or yeah, but I did that, you can go ahead and just put that aside as not from Jesus. Because Jesus is never going to say, you done this, you done this. He's going to say, I've taken care of it. So keep that in your mind. So it's not a false happiness that you just, you're trying to conjure up right now as you're being challenged with God's Word. This is truly happy. So are you happy right now? Are you happy Monday through Friday? Do you have an unexplainable joy in the midst of great trials? Can you honestly say in your heart with no doubts that the foundation of all your joy right now is Jesus Christ? Is the ultimate reality of the character of God, of the truth of the gospel, is that the foundation on which your joy is built? Whenever you go through something, do you look at, do you, do you try to work on yourself and get yourself happy or do you just remember the cross? Is that your first thought? Remember the cross. It's done. It's taken care of. So are you truly happy? See, that word alone, blessed, happy, for some of you today will settle the question of salvation. Because some of you wonder, am I really saved? I? And that one question, are you really happy, will settle it. You, if you answer that question and you're truthful with yourself, it answers it. For some of you, your eternity lies in the answer to that question. Because you can come to these Beatitudes and you can say, okay, poor and spirit. Okay, I kind of I feel bad about my sin. Okay, meek. Okay, I'm not prideful. I'm, I'm cool with everybody else. Um... Purity of heart. Oh, I'm not having sex till I get married. We, we think these things and we can convince ourselves that we have some of these attributes. But Jesus is teaching that the divine joy, the happiness, is immediate and unconditional effect of these attributes. It immediately comes and it's not something that we produce. So you're in, in your mind, maybe you're looking for natural substitutes when you should be looking for supernatural symptoms of the true attributes. You don't have to convince yourself that you're meek because you've got the blessedness. It produces the meekness. And so, is it there? Like I said, I can't read your mind. I don't know your hearts. God knows your heart. There's no point in lying. There's no point in deceiving yourself. So be honest. Are you truly happy? For some of you, you can act happy for an hour to come in here and act, act all cool. But when you walk out the door, your life is a living hell until you get back in here. And you put on your sunglasses, your happy sunglasses. You worry about relationships. You worry about money. You worry about your children. You worry about eternity. You worry about whether or not you've done the right thing or said the right thing. Did I offend somebody? Did I make somebody mad? You worry about whether or not God is at peace with you. Maybe in your mind you say... Well, I've made my peace with God. Well, that's not the question if you've made your peace with God. The question is, has God made His peace with you? God's the one with the problem with us. And so you wonder about these things. You worry. Are you truly happy? 
Because that's what this word means. It's, it's happy in a sense that nothing under the sun, on this earth, nothing we can imagine, can have any effect on my joy. Nothing. And that's a happiness that can only come from knowing Jesus as your Savior. So that's my first question. Do you have that happiness? Is it real in your life? That joy? Are you happy regardless of your bank statement? Are you happy regardless of your past? Are you happy regardless of your future? Are you happy regardless of who does or doesn't like you at the moment? I wouldn't have to go any further in this sermon for some people here. I wouldn't have to. I could just close right now. And you already know. You already feel the Holy Spirit drawing you. Wrenching your heart and saying you're not happy. You don't have it. I don't understand why you would turn that away. Don't resist. Don't, don't be don't reject Jesus. He's wooing you into His arms and He's saying, you're worrying, you're carrying all this stuff, you're not happy. Come unto me, all you are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Just come and, and have this blessedness. And so, I wouldn't have to go any further. But I'm, I'm going to. Because, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, we've got to understand, if we're, if we're going to hunger and thirst for something, we need to know what it is. We need to understand what... This is. So, what is righteousness? The word means literally to be put right with someone or something, or to be as you should be in respect to someone or something. So, the question is who else? If I got to be put right with someone or something, and I'm, let's just go ahead and say it is a someone. If I'm going to be put right with someone else, then who else? Does it mean I got to be put right with myself? That I got to be happy with who I am? Well, that doesn't work because of what we've already talked about the blessedness, that happiness that, well, the world can be happy, but it's happy because they're ignorant of where they stand. They're happy. You ask lost people, are you cool with yourself? Man, I'm. I'm good, you know, I'm making some strides, I'm trying to better myself, but for the most part, I love who I am. I'm, I'm glad to be myself. And the world pushes that individuality. But the truth is, if you don't see that something is wrong, you can't know that something needs to be put right. You don't understand what it means to be put right if you don't understand that something is wrong. If you don't see a problem, you don't know how to fix it. I don't care, the best plumber in the world cannot correctly fix a problem until he gets and looks at the pipes. He has no idea. He can be the best. He can be the quickest. He can have every tool, but until he looks at the pipes and figures out what the problem is, he can't fix it. Same goes for any, any job, a brick mason. Until he sees the bricks or the wall that he has to build or the line that he has to be level with, he, doesn't, he can't, can't even start. He doesn't know. So we've got to know what the problem is. And the lost world... Is cool with themselves. Everything's we're, we're straight. What's what's the big deal? It's not being put right with yourself or even other people. And one of my favorite quotes from from uh, I, I don't even know who it was, but they said it's not when it comes to evangelism. The hard part is not getting people saved; it's getting them lost because people just they think they're cool. They don't understand they need a problem or they need they need to fix a problem. But what have we learned in in past weeks? What do we know about the gospel? As Christians, we should know this. What do we know about the gospel? Where does the infraction lie? Lies with me against God. I have sinned against God. And we've been, because of that sin, we're separated from God. 
because of our sin, and I know we've talked about sin a lot lately, so that's good sometimes to remind ourselves that because of our sin, we are enemies of God. We don't, if we don't see that we're sinners, we don't see that we need to be saved. We don't get it. So hopefully all this talk about sin has left you longing. And, and, and my prayer is that all this talk about wretchedness and, and how depraved we are, we begin to see that and we want to be clean. That's, that's any, any time you tell somebody that they're a sinner, that they, they should repent, the, the prayer is always, it's not to just leave you in your ways, but I want you to see that you need to be forgiven. I want you to see that you need to be clean. So my prayer is that your self-assessment of, of, of this is just deconstructed. You've got nothing. Um, I pray that the image that you've, that you've had in your mind is torn down. I pray that the idol of self, you've looked at it and you have known. Man, that's a pretty pitiful God to worship. If this is all I've got to work for on this earth, that's a pitiful God to worship. And so... Like I said, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, no confidence in the flesh. And that's where I hope you are at. Every Christian should proudly say, I have no confidence in the flesh. I have nothing here to give, nothing to offer, nothing good I do is me. It's all Jesus. And I hope every one of you would say that. But you have that longing. See, the emptying of self, the tearing down of self, deconstruction of idolatry and pride leaves you longing. Longing to be right with God. And that being right with God is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. Happy are those who hunger and thirst to be right with God. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for that that cavern that separates us from God to be fixed. I want to be with God. Happy are those who hunger and thirst to be reconciled back to their Father. This is what Jesus means when He says righteous. But we're sinners. We are Undeserving sinners and a single sin, whether it's yesterday, today, or tomorrow, separates us from God. And you, if you're like me, you look back and you say, I've sinned a bunch. And I can't go back in time. Time travel is, does not exist. I can't go back in time, so I need a new start. I need to just, if there's any way I could just wipe everything clean and start over, I really just need to be born again and start from scratch. We can't physically be born again and start as infants. And even if we could, we'd still be human. So we would go right down the same path. So the only other option would be just that something outside of us could just be given to us. That it could just be kind of considered on our account. I need God to look, but not at me. Just look at something else that is actually righteous and just consider that me. Consider that on my account. I need a foreign righteousness to be credited to me. You know, that's exactly what happens when you trust Jesus as Savior. When you receive Jesus by faith, that's exactly what happens. Do you understand that? Do you realize the scandal that takes place when we receive Jesus? That's not fair. I mean, everybody in the world wants wants to talk about fairness... And, well, if God is so good, then why is there suffering? And why is there... No, the question is, if God is so good, why would He just give me righteousness? Why would... I mean, that's not good. That's unfair. Any judge anywhere, if they just swept things under the rug and said, you're good, and sent good people to jail, that would be 
scandalous. And so that's what happens. And Paul said that we are justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. The word justified, when you see that in the New Testament, justified means it's, it's another form of the same word as righteous. So you are righteous and to be justified means you are declared righteous. It's just another form of the word. So it means to be reckoned as righteous even though we aren't. I'm not righteous, but God says, I declare you righteous on behalf of Jesus. And this is what happens when we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Although we remain sinners until the day we die and we struggle and we battle, we are immediately credited the righteousness of Jesus. He just gives it. We're put right with God. Because we are right with God? No, because Jesus is right with God. We're justified by faith in Jesus. And so in that moment, in an instant, we are immediately right with God forever. And we stand as perfected beings before God because of our union with Jesus. And it's done. In that moment, it's done. You are right with God forever because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross but what about this righteousness? Do we just get it and then just go back to however we want to live? We just, I mean, I'm a sinner. I've got the righteousness now, but I'm still a sinner. God knows I'm still a sinner. So do I just keep on going the way I've been going? Well, no. We're still sinners. We sin every day. We struggle to live like Christ. We're made righteous before God. And yet in reality, I am not a righteous person. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I find myself sometimes doing something not for the glory of God, but for myself. My own selfish gain. I'm not perfect. I don't want to sin. I hate sin, but I do. Just like the Apostle Paul. All the things that I want to do, I can't do and I don't do. And all the things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. What, what are we going to do? What, what is the righteousness that we're supposed to be hungering and thirsting after. Because Jesus said the ones who are truly happy are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this is not a picture of just, I'm hungry, and then I get it, and then I keep on going, I'm good. This hungering and thirsting is a continual thing. Every day you hunger and thirst all the time. It's at once satisfied in Christ, and yet... Continuous Every day I, I hunger and I thirst for that righteousness. I want to be righteous. We've, As Christians, we rest in the truth that we're made righteous before God by the death of Jesus. And yet we wrestle with the fact that we remain tainted with sin every day until He returns. We've had our fill of the righteousness. We have that relationship with God through Jesus. And yet we hunger all the more. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and our appetite has only grown. If you're a Christian in here, you know this. I'm filled and I'm good, but I want it more and more every day. I'm just chasing it. I want it. I see sin. I hate sin. I don't want to sin. I want to be, I want to be perfect. I know I'm never going to be perfect, but I want it so bad. Show me how to do it. Teach me how to do it. We want this. And this is hard to grasp in a world where we eat on a regular basis. When it uses words like hunger and thirst. And we think hunger and thirst. But for the most part. We get hungry just because we're on a routine. You know I'm used to eating breakfast by 8 o'clock. And so if 8.30 comes and I haven't eaten. I'm hungry. I'm going to find something to eat. Or, or whatever your routine may be. We, Our hunger. Whenever we get hungry. It's almost always immediately satisfied. We live in a, a three meals a day 
society. And so usually after we've eaten and we've drank, we're satisfied and we're good until the next meal. But imagine a constant hunger. Imagine an unquenchable thirst. Imagine that you have eaten and eaten and eaten, and yet you feel like you haven't eaten anything. You're just, ah, you just, you, you want to fill it and pack it, pack it, and you can't do it. Imagine a thirst where you drink and you drink and you drink and you're just gulping, 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 and you, you take the cup away from your mouth and you're as parched as you were before you started. It's still there. I've got to get more, got to get more of this is what Jesus is saying. This is how we are to chase the righteousness that is from God. We pursue it and God has designed it to be this way. As we hunger and we thirst, we're satisfied. As we long to be made right, seeking the forgiveness of sins, it's done. Jesus said it's finished when He died on the cross. That's what He meant. It's done. But even as it's finished, it's done, if we've we, we long to be truly righteous, not just reckoned righteous. Remember, we are reckoned righteous. We are considered righteous because of Jesus, and yet we're still sinners. And this hungering and thirsting is to not just be reckoned, but to actually be a righteous person. So we, we, as we taste the reconciliation that God offers through Jesus, we want it more and more and more. We realize, hey... We see the truth of the gospel. Hey, I'm right before God. It's not about working anymore. It's not about all the things that I do to get myself to God. It's done. I'm there. I, am, I have a right relationship with God every day until I die. It's perfect. And He doesn't condemn me anymore. Nothing I'm ever going to do is going to be met with punishment. There will be consequences if we make bad decisions. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I see that. And I get close to God and it's just like, I just want to get closer and closer and closer and closer. I want to be more and more because we still struggle with sin. God is a fountain of living water that flows forever to those who are thirsty. He is, we can never have enough and he's more than we could ever conceive. It's just a constant, and he's made it this way. We hung, we thirst, 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 and he just keeps on. He's always there to replenish that. So we are to hunger and thirst for this righteousness. We hunger and thirst to be as we should be and as we are reckoned to be. So like I said, we, we know that we are reckoned righteous before God, but we, we're not really. I'm not acting that way. So how do I know? How do I know how I should be? That's the question. I'm, I'm chasing after a righteousness, pursuing it. I'm hungering and thirsting for it. But how do I know what that looks like? In this type of body. I'm a flesh person. Has, has there ever been anybody who's lived a flesh life and been righteous that I could maybe just... Man, if I could just look and kind of see how they did things, the things that they said, the way they lived. If I could just do that, I would know what I was supposed to do. Jesus did. Jesus lived in a body just like mine. And He was righteous. He was the only righteous one. So, in essence, our hunger and thirst... For true righteousness is a hunger and a thirst to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I desire to be like Jesus every day. I want to talk like Jesus. I want to walk like Jesus. I want to look at people like Jesus looked at them. I want to answer their questions like Jesus answered their questions. I want to love people like Jesus loved them. But how am I supposed to know? 
Well, the answer is we engulf ourselves in God's word so that we can know how Jesus lived and acted. We hunger and thirst for righteousness and this is how we do it. We look at the Old Testament and we read the law and all these things in the Old Testament and we see that this is, Jesus kept it perfectly. And then we look at the New Testament and we see the, the, the gospel narratives of how Jesus lived, eyewitness accounts of how he spoke to people and treated people and answered people and Then we read in the epistles the things that Jesus taught that his apostles were given to deliver to the churches. The words and the things that Jesus taught while he was with them. In the Old Testament, that's what we see. In the New Testament, that's what we see. We look at the book of Revelation and we see how Jesus is going to respond at the end of time to the the, the narrative of history. I want to read this to you. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's this. And on his law he meditates day and night. And listen to this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff and the wind drive, that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, but nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous person. This righteous man, this blessed man, his delight, his happiness, his joy is in the law of the Lord, the scriptures. And he, on this law, he meditates day and night, all the time, just soaking in God's word all the time. This is how we pursue righteousness. And you're saying to me, well, Paul, it's hard for me to find time to study God's word. It's hard for me to focus. It's hard for me to just sit and ponder Christ's life. I mean, you get, you get paid to do that. It's hard for me. And to that I say, how hard is it for you to find food when you're hungry? How hard is it for you to find a drink when you're thirsty? How hard is it for you to focus on getting a fork in your mouth while you're eating? Oh, I can't, oh man, I'm just having so much trouble. I can't focus. How hard is it for you to focus on swallowing a gulp of water? It just comes, it's just natural. It's done. How hard is it for you to sit still long enough to eat a full meal when you're hungry? See, the question is not what, where is the time? The question is, how much do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? How much do I want it? You say, wait, that's different because i got to eat food to live. And then I say, no, wait, it's not different because Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's this. This is our life as believers. How many times have you driven a distance for a particular restaurant? How many times have you paid a certain amount of money for a well-prepared meal? How many times have you sat and waited and waited and waited on the buzzer at the restaurant for a table because the food is good? How much planning have you put into making sure that you have an evening out to eat at a particular restaurant? How excited are you at work when the lunch bell rings or when it's time for lunch? And how mad would you be if they cut your lunch break short? 
All right, guys, I know it's only been 10 minutes, but uh, we need to get back to work. Wait a second now. I clocked out for this lunch break. That's my money you're taking from me. We would be upset. I've been there. Here's the truth. You'll do what you want to do. The reason you aren't like Jesus is because you don't study Jesus and His teachings. The reason you struggle day after day with sin is because you aren't spending time in God's Word. The reason that you have difficulty believing and trusting in the promises of God is because you don't care enough about your relationship with God to set aside a little bit of time for Him. Let's, let's just be honest. Think about how much time we spend on ourselves and how much time we spend with God. How many times have you gotten up in the middle of the night because you were thirsty and you go and you get a drink or a snack? How many times have you made a glass of water and put it beside your bed because, you know, I'm probably going to wake up in the middle of the night and be kind of parched. I'm going get to a, get a drink. How many times have you been awakened in the night with a desire to read God's Word? I just got to get a little more. I can't sleep. I got to get a little more. How many times has that happened? How many times have you woken up and headed to the living room for, for a little more prayer time? I can sleep later. I just, gotta, I just want to pray a little bit more. How many times have you laid your Bible beside your bed because you know, I'm, I might as well go ahead and put it there because I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night hungry and parched and I'm going to have to get something just to get me through the night. How many times has that happened? How do we, I mean, are we hungering and thirsting? How many times have you set your alarm 30 minutes early so that you could spend the time with the God of the universe before spending the next 16 hours of the day on yourself? Because that's what we do. If you think about it, I mean, even if I, if I read, if I, even if I read my Bible four hours straight every day, I'm still spending more time on the world and with myself than I am with the Lord. And this is what we do. And I, and I would challenge you guys 30 minutes. You say, Paul, but I already get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'm saying 30 minutes, 30 minutes of just straight scripture reading or get a verse and just read it and chew it and, and, and gnaw on it, soak on every word of it. I'm not saying do a quiet time and check off the box that you've done your quiet time. I'm saying really read God's word. 30 minutes a day will change everything. See, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should hunger and thirst to be like Jesus, like we hunger for food. It should be second nature. We should long to know Christ like we long to drink water on a hot day as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you, oh Lord. I've got to have it. If I don't have it, I'm just going to dry up and wither away. And I know this is, this is hard. It, it just seems like it's just, it's, it grinds against everything that we are to do this. I know that. But we're told blatantly. I mean, he just says it flat out that if we hunger and thirst this way, you'll be satisfied. You will get it. You will be made right with God through Christ in an instant. And another aspect of being made right with God is never having enough of God. See, some of you, you just get enough. You get your fill and you're good. And, and for others of you, it's like, I can't get enough. And God has designed the universe to operate in such a way that makes Him the supreme desire and the end of all searching. So to be put right with God means that we're in such a state that we hunger and thirst for Him all the time. We always want to be closer. We always want to be in His presence. It's a desire to be like Jesus. We get it immediately. If you hunger and thirst, you get it. It's there. But we still hunger and thirst for it. And as I was studying and preparing for this in, in, in a book I've been reading that focuses a lot on the Sermon on the Mount, the author said, the problem with most people is they hunger and thirst for the happiness more than they do the 
the righteousness that will produce the happiness. But I was thinking, I think we should pursue happiness. I think we should chase our ultimate happiness. I think we as Christians should refuse to stop short of anything other than eternal divine joy and happiness in our lives. Psalm 1 says, we read, the, that, that man, that blessed man, his delight, his happiness, his joy is in the law of the Lord. So I'm seeking my true joy, not fake joy, not fake happiness, not happiness that's going to end when my heart stops beating, but eternal happiness. If I'm chasing that, I'm going to get it because it's only found in God. So we'll find it in God. And when we find it there and we rest there and we just give God our load and we rest in that happiness, we get that satisfaction, we get that joy, that peace that passes all understanding, and God gets the glory because we can only attribute it to Him. It's only Him. So, kind of in closing, as we we see that we're sinners, hopefully, and we see that we need to be put right with God, we ask ourselves, well, what does, it need, what does it take to be right with God? If you're sharing the gospel with somebody, and you can, you can tell them, the only thing that you need is to be right with God. Do you know what it takes to be right with God? Perfection. If you can just be perfect, you're right with God. That's, that's, that's all it takes. It takes perfection. But remember, the smallest infraction, the smallest sin separates you from God. And for the most part, if you're talking to somebody, they have lived a life, and they have sinned at least once. And so, as we long to be put right with God, we must admit <clears throat> that we are in need of something that we can't produce. I'm supposed to be perfect. God requires perfection, but I'm not perfect. And that's what's offered through the death of Jesus. As we trust Jesus by faith, we're given His righteousness. It's just laid out. See, the gospel truth of this verse is explicit. For those who desire to be put right with God and have their sins forgiven and claim Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as payment for their sin, they're satisfied. It's done. Boom. It's given to you. Your hunger and your thirst is satisfied. Now, if you tell somebody that, there are almost always two objections. You say, God requires perfection. Well, that's impossible. That's too hard. Okay? God gave us Jesus' perfection, and we do nothing to earn or deserve it. He just gives it there if you'll receive it. Well, that's too easy. It can't be that easy. Surely it's not that easy. Friends, the beauty of the gospel is that God takes that which is impossible and that which seems too easy, and He just does it through the death of His Son. He just gives it. He does what is impossible. We just receive and so if you aren't a believer today, I compel you to believe. Trust on the Lord and you will be saved. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Christians, do you sense a slacking in your desire for righteousness every day? I do. Please don't think that I stand up here and I push this stuff out and I'm on a different end of it. I feel this every single day I'm challenged to do this. Are there times when you don't hunger and thirst? Well, then ask God to revive that in you. 
Ask him. Beg the Holy Spirit to create that desire in you. I am. I will testify to it firsthand. If you ask God to give you a desire for his word, he will give it. It may be three or four years later, but he will give it. And read God's word. Pray. Spend time with the Lord every day. Make it a priority. Why? Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied.